Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Say, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. We do appreciate her. Amen. Each one, whenever it is your month, we uh, hope that you feel appreciated and thanked as well. Amen. <clears throat> During volunteer of the month. Amen. Each month, right? Each month. There's opportunity for that. And uh, so we're grateful tonight. We're going to be in the book of Genesis. Going to be in the book of Genesis. Thankful for the Spirit of the Lord. Amen, that I feel in this place, amen, through the songs uh, that, that were picked and sung tonight. There are just some songs that just kind of pull, it seems like, God's presence into a place or invites it, I should say, invites it into a place. And those series of songs tonight uh, did just that. I remember years ago uh, when Don and I was evangelizing, uh, there was a church that we always went to in Peebles, Ohio, uh, that their daughter just had a... Uh, I don't know how else to explain it, an airy voice, uh, a gift, yeah, you might say, and always about 15 or 20 minutes for service, she would go to the piano and just start playing some of those songs that are just kind of like that leading up to service. And I told her, I said, we're going to like kidnap you and take you like to every church we go to uh, because it always set just such an atmosphere uh, in those services, and uh, but I'm glad to say tonight that we got our very own, amen, after it took me all these years, no, I just say, amen, I had to come off the road in order to find them, amen, but we're thankful, amen, for Brother Alex and Sister Grace, amen, leading us into the presence of the Lord, Genesis chapter number two, amen, glad to see each one of you here, amen, and uh, just for the sake of it tonight, we're glad to have uh, Wayne and Ann and Shakila. They have made this their home church, so please befriend them and get to know them and love on them, amen, if you will. And uh, so uh, just become acquainted with them, amen, during this, during this time of them, you know, getting their feet wet here at First Apostolic Church. Genesis chapter number 2. Genesis chapter number 2, if you're there, say amen. 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 Remember this coming weekend, bishop, morning, bishop, night. Yeah. Bishop, time, time change, bishop. <laughs> it is time change, bishop. Amen. He's going to be here. He's going to be here uh, ministering the word of the Lord. Uh, my family, as far as uh, Don, Mariah, and myself, are going to be in prison, uh, almost almost to Kansas in prison, uh, but we're going to be out that way, and so pray for us and strength and that God's will would be done. Amen. And others others are traveling too. Brother Malone has a trip down south that's coming this, this weekend as well. He was supposed to go with this, and for whatever reason, like there's like these prison just weird stuff that happens sometimes. He was supposed to go with us, and he didn't get like okayed on the list. Uh, had his... I, I don't know, you know, he went in with us another time, a different place, you just never know. I've been before, went and couldn't get in one day, got in the next due to other things, but nonetheless, you just never know what can happen with those things. So he's going to take advantage of that and take a trip south, so pray for his safety as well. Genesis 2, 
Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm probably just going to read uh, the first four verses. I'll allow you to be seated. I'm going to continue reading, all right? So this is kind of like you're all my kids and you're going to bed at night and I'm going to give you some uh, Bible reading, all right? I'm going to read to you. Uh, you remember doing that? Uh, a lot of times I made them read. And so as I listened, amen, but those days are gone now. Amen. Genesis 2 and verse number 4. These are the generations. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb, every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. I'll allow you to be seated, amen, right there. And uh, we'll continue on here going down to verse number 17. And I'm probably going to have to start using these things because I'm just in that stage of life. I just lost the lens. <laughs> I'm just in that stage of life that I need a little, I think I broke them. No, they're broke. That I need a, a little help. So I'll just bring it a little closer. How about that? And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden. From thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison, that is it which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good, and there is Bedellum and the onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gihon, and the same is it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hedekel. That is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Amen. Amen. I don't have to do that in my iPad because I make my font big enough that we're good. All right. I want to talk a little bit tonight under this heading or this umbrella of a heading tonight. Uh, Adam, and see, and people's priority looked online. Adam the first. Anyone fill in the blank? No. I figured everybody would say man, but I want to talk about Adam the first priest. Adam the first priest. All right. This evening. And so in, in verse number four, back to verse number four, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. And this phrase is something that you see recur over and over again, at least this part of the phrase, that these are the generations of. You see that occur, and we've made mention this over and over again in the book of Genesis. Many times it's talking about these are the generations of, for instance, Noah, or these are the generations of the sons of Noah, or like these are the generations of Terah. It's usually individual, and that's where you get into those, 
your favorite your favorite sections of Genesis where the genealogies are, where so-and-so begat so-and-so and lived so many years and begat such-and-such, so-and-so forth. And they're usually listing uh, their offspring or their descendants because the, the word generations, of course, is indicating that, offspring and, and, and descendants. Here, though, these are the generations of the, the heavens and the earth or the earth and the heavens. This is just another look. And we made mention this last week here in chapter 2. It's another look at creation. It's another look really at the sixth day, the latter part of of the sixth day of the creation of humanity, the creation of mankind. Because it's kind of general, stated in a general way in chapter number 1. It's a little bit more detailed, all right, in chapter number 2 when we read about the mist going up and Adam or the man being made from the dust of the ground and breath being put in his lungs and, and then learning of how Eve taken from his side, right, and Adam being made to fall asleep. So there's a lot more detail that's given to us in this creation story. And so who made the earth and the heavens according to verse number 4? The Bible says that the Lord God. And The reason why I, again, yes, he's the creator of all these things and that's important and that should be underscored uh, in Genesis, particularly in the society in which we live. But the Lord God particular, because this, this phrase, this label, this the Lord God label is something that starts in verse number 4 and continues almost to the end of chapter number 3. Prior to this, in Genesis chapter number 1, he's constantly being referred to as God, or in Hebrew uh, that we noted was Elohim. He's constantly being spoken as that, the creator, uh, God. But now we have the Lord God. And it's going to crop up over and over again the use of that, the Lord God, the Lord God, throughout chapter 2 and throughout the most, almost all of chapter number 3. And it's because of this that some people and scholars want to pinpoint, well, we got another writer that is contributing to the book of Genesis because someone used God, now they're using Lord God, and so we got a a new writer. And I don't necessarily uh, subscribe uh, to that type of thinking uh, because... Whenever we look at the Lord God, the Lord God, that statement or that phrase describing God really showcases two aspects, I might say, of God. Because in Genesis chapter number 1, it was just God. It was just Elohim. It was uh, describing him and his work of creation of saying let it be so or let it be or he made or he created him as creator but whenever we look at the the lord portion of this phrase it is referring then to the aspect of him being our redeemer all right because uh the lord part and in your bible anytime most bibles do this whenever lord is capital l capital o capital r capital d that's just not Uh, the Hebrew word Adonai, that's for Lord, but that is the covenant name of God. That's Yahweh. That's Yahweh, the covenant covenant name of God. The name that God gave to Moses whenever he said, Moses, I want you to return into the land of Egypt and I want you to function as a deliverer for the nation of Israel. And Moses said, well, God, if I go back, 
who, who am I going to say sent me? Who am I going to say? And he said, well, you tell them, you tell them that I am, that I am sent them. Tell them that I am sent them. Tell them that the Lord God, he says then in the next verse of Exodus 3, that the Lord God sent you unto them. And so uh, with that being said, that was the name that was revealed unto Moses. And we started this whole series Amen, underscoring the fact that Moses being the author of the first five books of the Bible. So I'm not, I'm not surprised that I see the Lord God terminology show up in chapter number two when that's the very name by which he, he revealed himself to Moses to say that this is the guy that's coming back, amen, to Israel while they're in Egyptian bondage to set them free. So I'm not surprised at that at all. I don't believe we have another author. I think we have the author that we said that we do have. But nonetheless, so it's going to start here, this taking place. So up to this moment, we've been viewing the Creator, but now he throws in this other phrase, amen, of Yahweh, of Lord in all capitals, amen, that, that, that denotes him as Redeemer, denotes the Lord as Redeemer. And whenever we consider this and we understand this from last week, it was just last week, when we talked about that seventh day, or we talked about the Sabbath and kind of traced a little bit of its background and its purpose in Exodus 20 when the Ten Commandments were given the first time and then in Deuteronomy 5, I believe it is, when the commandments were given the second time to a new generation. Remember, the first time it was given in Exodus 20 and it speaks of the Sabbath or the seventh day, it is making reference back to creation. But in Deuteronomy chapter number 5, whenever it references it there, it begins, and it speaks to us uh, on this day or the seventh day, remember to pause, remember to stop, and remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Remember that the Lord delivered you. Again, talking to them about their Redeemer. And so both of those aspects that we see in our celebration of the Sabbath or the seventh day of God being creator and Redeemer, Moses kind of just from there flows with that by then constantly calling him the Lord God, bringing that both those aspects of him being creator and redeemer up again every time he makes mention of the Lord God here in chapter number 2 and leading on in chapter number 3. Now, now some there's something we must understand about verse number 4 and onward here. Verse number 4 and onward, some, some understand that everything that happened in verse number 4 to almost the end of chapter 3 took place in Eden. All right? Uh, we speak about the Garden of Eden. The Bible talks about the garden that was east in Eden, all right, or the Garden of God. Everything taking place in Eden. And so as a result of that, we read in verses 4 and 5 and 6 that God did not plant a garden or God did not cause vegetation eastward in Eden as described in verse number 5 until or simultaneously as he created man because he wanted man to be there to dress it and to keep the garden that he made there. In Eden, you'll note in the verses that I read to you tonight, in Eden, the planting and growing of the garden coincided with man's existence because man was going to maintain what God started. He was going to maintain what God began. 
And once God placed a man there, and we see that in verse number 8 of chapter number 2, once God placed man there, God, note then in verse number 9, the Bible says, He caused them the trees to grow. Because Adam was there now. And someone can now tend to what God had begun. And so he does it very purposefully. Again, and I may mention this very, very, very uh, kind of a side note at the end of last week, that before, before what we call before the fall, right, before the transgression of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Adam was placed in the garden before the fall to dress it and to keep it. And I said last week, and I reiterate this week, that work... Man having the responsibility to work preceded the fall. The reason why I say this, some some talk about that work is, is a part of the curse. Work is not a part of the curse. Work was something, if you think, whenever you think of Eden and you think people think of Eden as the utopia, as paradise, listen, paradise had work involved in it. Paradise had work involved in it because work was given to Adam before the fall ever took place. Work is not a part of the curse. Whenever you go to Genesis chapter number 3 and you read that, that the ground is going to be cursed and there's going to be thistles and there's going to be thorns which is going to make it more difficult for man to get the same cultivation that he got from the ground before the fall. It's going to be more difficult. And by the sweat of his brow, the Scripture says, that he would get bread... He, 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 he worked before, but now it's just going to be more intense. It's going to be more difficult. That's the result of the curse. That work becomes a little bit more difficult. Work becomes a, a there's toil that's taking place in work. But the place that we call, again, everybody's like, oh, if we could just go back to, you know, before the fall, you know, back in the days uh, uh, before the fall and the, the perfection of man and of woman, then you would have to say, and of work. Well, didn't mean to get off the wrong foot here. Amen tonight. Uh, oh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, he said it like this. He said, some occupation is necessary to happiness He said, lazy people would not enjoy even Eden itself. He said, a perfect man is a working man. Every single lady needs to write that quote down. That a perfect man is a working man. That's, 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 uh, uh, whoever you go to date, married vice 101 from pastor tonight. A perfect man is a working man. I'm looking for a perfect man. Well, if you don't have a job, look on. Well, ain't getting deep in here quick. Amen. There is a principle even in Eden. There's a principle. Again, we label this paradise. We, 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 we label this the garden of God. But God wants humanity. This is before the fall. God wants humanity to maintain what he has started. Hmm. We often associate, you know, paradise with something that, that, God, that God has created for us. Paradise, well, God, God created that for them, this bliss and set them in that. I mean, what more could you want? I mean, for them to enjoy, for them to have. 
But the real story of the Garden of Eden is that God prepared it for us that we might retain it and keep the upkeep on it. Amen. And that's important, right, for our real everyday lives. God still does works in our lives that's not just hands-free on our part. This is not that he just like throws a bucket of grace on me and extends the opportunity for repentance and salvation to me and I'm like, this is great, God, just do it all. No. He set me in a context where I need to do the upkeep. James even said, not Malone, but James even said in the New Testament Scripture, it states words like this about to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. He saved me from the world, but now I have the responsibility to keep myself Keep myself from being spotted by the world. In other places of Scripture, you see this in the Old Testament, the New Testament, it admonishes us like this. It says, sanctify yourselves. Now understand, I received, I, there was a sanctification that happened whenever the Lord saved me. He sanctified me. He set me apart. He made me holy. But there's a responsibility on my shoulder after he has done that. I'm not trying to get holy. I'm trying to keep holy. Uh-huh. Eden's not about just God doing everything. That paradise utopia is not about just God doing everything, but it's about what he does we maintain. What he's accomplished we keep in safeguard. What? Someone say amen. So there's a principle. That's being laid out for us here in the scripture. We, we have the sanctification. Yes, the Bible talks about in Hebrews 10 how we are sanctified through the offering of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we help preserve that, amen, by the way that we carry out our lives. And so when we look at the garden, the garden of Eden, God placed Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden. And there's other places in scripture again where the Garden of Eden is called the Garden of God. The interesting thing about the Garden of Eden is we, we really don't know what the location of the Garden of Eden was. We don't know. We don't know the exact location of the Garden of Eden. There, there folks, there have been so many people that's delved into this that there's probably a paragraph this long and that wide of all of the quote-unquote possible places that the Garden of Eden could be. Some have attempted to take verses 10 through 14, the river that came up out of the Garden of Eden that split into four heads, and they've tried to trace the four rivers that's mentioned in those verses to trace back to find the origin of the Garden of Eden. But the difficulty of those four rivers is that some of them are known and some of them are unknown. They're, they're unknown to us in this generation. Not only that, something else that is difficult is this. All of that geography is before the flood. The flood could have very easily changed, and I believe did, the geography. 
of the world of the then known time. All right? So with that being the case, Eden's, Eden's location, physical location is elusive. We, we, we don't know the exact location. But we do know that the word garden comes from a Hebrew word that means an enclosed space. I like that. Because where God placed the first family was in an enclosed, hedged in. A hedged in space. God prepared that. What we call the perfect paradise. For the first man and woman was a hedged in. Enclosed space. To be the dwelling place of Adam and Eve. And designed it that they would live there. They would work there. They would find their sustenance there. And in essence, they didn't need to go outside of there for anything that they would need. If you want to know the heart of God, the heart of God is, I have an enclosed, hedged-in space for you where I'll supply what you need in that place and I'll come down at sundry times and have fellowship. Amen? Amen? And communication with you. Amen. He came down and visited them in that enclosed, that garden, that hedged in place. So we may not know the physical location of Eden, right? But we can enjoy the benefits of that place, if I can say it like this, when we have the presence of God. Because what made really Eden, Eden? Among all the things that was there and available, what really made Eden, Eden was the presence, the presence of the Lord. You could have every tree and everything else, but if you didn't have the presence, Eden would not have been Eden. And so we don't have an exact location, but we know a vital key to it, and that's God's presence. What are you saying, Pastor McGee? I'm saying then if we can get God's presence, we'll have a mirrored Eden type of situation. Amen. The Bible says in Isaiah 51 and verse 3, the prophet is singing a song here, it seems. He says, for the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places and he will make her wilderness. Look, God will make her wilderness like Eden. Her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein. Thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Notice here, the Lord saying, I'm going to make this wilderness, this dry, this barren place, I'm going to make it like Eden. Can I tell you tonight that God can make an Eden anywhere he chooses? God can make an Eden anywhere he chooses. And no, it's not so much what God did to the wilderness that made Eden Eden, but it was him being there. It was his presence that makes this place really like the garden of God, or if I could even say the house of God, huh? the, the inhabited place of God. And so the background of the failure and success of the first man 
all right, that we know as Adam, and I'm talking about the first priest, but the first man still, amen. The background of the failure and success of the first man, Adam, and the last Adam, not his failure, but his success, first Adam failed, second Adam, or the last Adam, as we know to be Jesus Christ, that's what Jesus Christ is called, the last Adam, or the second Adam. One, one failed, one succeeded, and both of those things happened in gardens. Amen. Adam went against God's will in the Garden of Eden. The last Adam, or Jesus Christ, surrendered to his Father's will, right? He said, I don't want to take this cup, Lord. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, that that acceptance of his father's will took place in the garden of Gethsemane. Amen. Not only that, but the body of the second Adam, the body of the last Adam, of Jesus Christ, his flesh was buried in a garden tomb. Note the scripture of John 19 and verse number 41. Now, in the place where he, that's speaking of Jesus Christ, that's speaking of the last Adam, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher, wherein was never a man laid. And yet, you look at verse number 42, if we were to go on, it speaks about how Jesus Christ was laid in that garden tomb. So, when you begin to look at it, Jesus Christ, the last Adam, succeeded where, speaking of a garden, where the first Adam failed. Not only did he succeed there to the Father's will in the garden, but he was crucified in the place of a garden. He was buried in a garden, and therefore as a result of that, he resurrected at a place of a garden. Jesus then, listen to me now, where Adam failed, where humanity failed, Jesus Christ came upon this earth and not only did he redeem humanity, but he redeemed an enclosed space. A garden. By accepting the will, being crucified there, being buried there, and resurrecting there. He didn't just redeem humanity, he redeemed a place. He redeemed an enclosed place where everything fell apart, God put it back together. Where everything fell apart, God put it back together. Amen. Someone say amen. I don't think that's happenstance. I don't think that's coincidence. I think that's purposeful. That's purposeful. The Bible in Isaiah 66 and 1. And here's where I want to start getting to the idea of Adam of the first priest. Because this garden scenario that we have and some of the things that are listed there that are in that garden and even some of the words that are used and we'll look at here in a little bit almost tend to denote Eden as being the first place where God would come down to earth and inhabit. Just like he did every tabernacle and temple that followed that. All right? Look at Isaiah 66 and 1. You've heard this verse plenty of times. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. 
where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? Now, here's where I start making the comparison with Eden with a temple or Eden with a tabernacle, and that is due to the fact that the Bible says in the verses of 10 through 13 or so that out of Eden there came a river that split into four, all right? I believe Eden was God's first place that he habitated in upon the earth where he came down, as we know from chapter number three, where he came down, right? And they would hear his voice in the cool of the day and have fellowship with Adam and Eve and he dwelt there among them. The reason why I say this is because later when you read of the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel was doing a lot of writing in his book. Several chapters covers a temple that shall be. And in his writing about this temple that shall be, uh, he begins to describe some things, all right? Now, let's just back up for a moment. Remember back in the book of Exodus even, when the tabernacle in the wilderness, Moses was to build the tabernacle in the wilderness. He spoke to his people, I believe it is, and let me look, Exodus 25 and verse 8 in particular. He said, let them make me a sanctuary that I might, what, dwell among them. Because once the fall took place in the garden, flaming, there were cherubims there with flaming swords to guard it. Man wasn't allowed back in there, and so there really wasn't no purpose for God to come down in that space anymore. It was guarded and disbarred from man. But now he's saying in Exodus, make me a, a, a sanctuary that I can what? Have fellowship with you again. Because that's what I had with you in the beginning. And that's what I want with you again is fellowship. So make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among you. See, in the beginning, God created the space that he came down in in order to have fellowship with mankind. But man messed that opportunity up. And so now he says, rather than me doing the work again, he says, I want you to do the work according to my pattern according to my plan, and I'll come down in that place that you had a hand of that's according to my pattern, and I'll have, fel I'll have fellowship with you. Now, listen, it's not, as intimate as, it's not as intimate as the garden setting. There's the Ark of the Covenant that's revered as the very presence of God, and he comes down as a cloud between the two cherubim that are upon the mercy seat. He told Moses, that's where I'll come. That's where I'll make visitation. But everybody couldn't go into the holiest of holies. Only the high priest could, and only then once a year could he go in there. Or besides, unless they were moving the tabernacle and throwing, you know, the, 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 the proper coverings over it for it to be carried. Outside of that, so it's not as an intimate setting. It's not open to everybody. Fellowship, if you will, is limited to a certain degree. For that matter, the people had somebody that was mediating for their fellowship. The high priest of that day would mediate for their fellowship. Someone say amen. 
But no doubt the tabernacle was better than nothing. And when we look in the temple, each of these forms of buildings that God had men build, the Bible speaks when they were finished always that the, his, his presence would come down and the house would almost fill with smoke that, that ministries and priests could not even stand to minister because it was kind of God giving his thumbs up, amen, that they had made it according to his pattern, according to his desire, amen, and that he came down and fellowshiped with them. But Adam and Eve, their sin, keep them from the Garden of Eden. Priests can go to temple. Priests can go to tabernacle. But in the New Testament, when the last Adam, Jesus Christ, redeemed the space and humanity and gave up the ghost from Calvary's tree, the Bible says the veil in the temple was rent in twain from top to dot bottom. And now access was granted to everyone, not just the high priest. They could boldly go in before the throne room of grace. <laughs> Again, the last Adam is making a correction to the first Adam's mistake. Someone say amen. amen. Let's go a step further. That whenever you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, whenever you have repented of your sins and you have been baptized in Jesus' name and you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, guess what? God once again inhabits a space and has fellowship with humanity in a place that wasn't made by man's hands but was made by him from the very beginning of creation. Huh? See, in, back at Eden, he made the garden and he put man there and had fellowship. Temple, tabernacle, uh, Zerubbabel's temple, Herod's temple, man built, but he would come down. But you, your body, know ye not that ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost? He created this. While we were in our mother's womb, every member was written. Psalms 139 says God created this temple yeah. just like he created Eden. And he will fill that space, yeah. that enclosed, hedged-in area. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And have fellowship with mankind again through and by his spirit. Yeah. That indwells mankind. Yeah. So this idea, everybody tracking with me? This idea of Eden being similar to a temple. Again, a river came out of Eden, parted into four. And when you get to Ezekiel 47, he's writing about a lot about a future temple. And he writes, in Ezekiel 47, he said, I was looking over there at the house of the Lord and water began to issue forth from the threshold. And he's like, the further that I went, it's ankle deep, it's knee deep, it's loin deep, it's waist deep, it's waters to swim in. And he said, when I turned back around and looked at the banks, each side of the banks of where this water flowed, he said there were trees. He said there were trees on either side of the banks of this river. 
Now, that's interesting because in Eden, we have a river flowing out of it and we have trees that are in it. But the other thing that is of, of, of a peculiar interest to me is then when you go to the book of Revelation, chapter number 22, verses 1 and 2, John writes about what he sees concerning that new Jerusalem heaven. Amen, that is coming down. And he says he's seen the throne and proceeding out of this throne was a pure river. <laughs> a pure river of water that was proceeding out of the throne of God. And look at it again, there is a tree of life. Amen, that is there. And so in the sacred settings of Ezekiel's temple, of what we know to be heaven, or we could even talk about how there being a heavenly temple and an earthly, because Hebrew talks about how the earthly was nothing more but a shadow of the heavenly. Is a pattern of the heavenly. But when we look at this and that these things then even have their tie with water and trees, even to Eden, it is my, my what I convey to you tonight is that Eden was God's first place that he inhabited on this earth for fellowship with mankind. Adam forsook the tree of life in Eden, but in heaven it's safe for those who overcome. The Bible says in Revelations 2 and verse number 7, speaking to the churches, one of the seven churches of, of Asia, he says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the, note the wording here, the paradise of God. Someone say Amen. So God has set things up here from the beginning because with the seventh day, with the seventh day there in the beginning verses of chapter number two, God gave us sacred time because it's set apart, it's holy. But here, God is giving us a sacred space with Eden in the garden. And think with me for a moment, and this is rhetorical, totally rhetorical, but how meaningful would it be to spend your sacred time in the sacred place? We do it quite often. Amen. Now look at some words. So I'm not just taking Eden with the, the rivers and the trees, but with the words that are used. Because in verse number 15 of Genesis 2, again, the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Now these, these verbs, these verbs that are used are also associated with the sacred space like the tabernacle and the temple, these same words. So there's a connection between Adam's row of working or dressing and protecting or keeping the Garden of Eden and what was in the tabernacle and temple, the priest's row of serving and caring for the tabernacle or the temple when God's presence would, would appear. The word dress here in the Old Testament, Genesis, basically means to serve. To dress means to serve. That was identifiable even with the priest. To keep means to tend. Or note this, to exercise great care over something to the point of guarding it if necessary. It's the same word that are used of the cherubs, the cherubim. In uh, chapter number 3, when they guarded the Garden of Eden after the fall with their flaming swords to preserve 
access to the tree of life. Victor P. Hamilton says it like this. He said, the garden is something to be protected more than it is something to be possessed. (laughs) Again, it's something that God has given that we should dress and work and preserve. Observe here in verse number 9, and I'm trying to move along here. I already broke my glasses. I'm going to break this stand before it's all over. They're just readers. They're just like a dollar or something. Nothing to cry over. Observe the trees that God made to grow in Eden in verse number 9. Look at verse number 9 of chapter 2. Observe the trees that God made to grow in Eden. Out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree, every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Every tree that was pleasant to the sight and good for food, God caused to grow in Eden. So, Sister Sheila, there were a lot of options in Eden. There were a lot of appealing options. Because we need to stop for a moment, because we'll get to later chapter number 3 where the Bible says that whenever Eve took of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that she desired it because she looked upon it. No doubt there was something that must have seemed to... But these were all pleasant to the sight. There's a lot of appealing trees here in the Garden of Eden, and they are good for food. So there's a lot of options in Eden. They're appealing, they're fruitful, and he also tells us then that he caused to grow there the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil are also among these pleasant, fruitful trees. (laughs) And his command to them in verses 16 and 17 to the man was, thou may freely eat each tree, every tree, right? Let's look at it, verse number 16. Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Verse 17 gives the exception. So every tree that is pleasant to the eye, every tree that is good for food is there. You can eat of them all. And then verse 17, except. Already noted, every tree in the garden of Eden had something to offer. They're all good for food. Every tree in the Garden of Eden has something to offer. My statement to that is this. Just because something has something to offer doesn't mean it's something that you need to take. Look again in verse number 16. God's first words to Adam was what he was permitting Adam to do. Someone needs to take this home tonight. His first words were words of permission. His second word was a word of what is prohibited. Why are you saying that, Pastor McGee? Here's why I'm saying that. Because the world in which we live in, they always want to concentrate on the prohibiting like that's all that God's saying. But in reality, he didn't lead with what was prohibited. He led with what was permissive. 
It, I mean, it, I don't know, you know, I got my own vision, you know, and sometimes I play it up in my head, but it's almost, I could like take, you know, come here, Adam. Adam, Adon, Adon, it's real close. I'd be like, here's God, you know, we're in the garden. I'm like, you could have that tree, 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 that one you have, you need from that one, that one, that one, that one, that one, that one. You getting the point? You can have that one, that one's permissible. You need from that one, 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 that one. And after you've heard me and you're looking at me, you're like, yeah, I get it, God, so I can eat from all these. Yes, except that one. You can't. Someone say amen. Because we live in a generation. And this is, a, I, don't, I don't believe this is the fault of the generation. This is the fault of our adversary. Because whenever we get to chapter number three, the adversary's pointing out the exception rather than pointing out all the permissive. And so then we've, we've bred that and we've conditioned that through generations of time, even to now society, that everybody's like, well, you can't do that or you can't go there, you can't, da, da, can't, can't, can't. Honey, he was permissive with us before he was ever prohibiting with us. So while you're staring at the one, don't forget all the other trees out there that's good for food and pleasant to the sight. They're yours. Don't get hung up over the one because that's the tactic of your enemy. He didn't lead with that. God didn't lead with that. Huh. Every tree, Adam, that's free. I mean, that's freedom. Every tree except. That's freedom. Could not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, here's how we do it. And I've taught on this like years and years and years ago. The moment we say you can have all these but not that one, it's like, you're withholding something from me, God. You're prohibiting me from doing something, God. You're restraining me from doing something, God. But here's, here's what we got to all realize. If God ever prohibits or restrains, what you need to do in your mind is ask, why is he prohibiting or restraining me from that one tree among all these other trees and what God told Adam was is because the day that you in the day that you eat of that tree you shall surely die wait a minute so this isn't so much God prohibiting something and restraining me from something like he's being unfair this is God protecting you this is God protecting this is God. There's a lot of folks that's looking at God as though he's unfair when God's really your being your best friend and keeping you from harm's way. They're keeping you out of sin. Well, amen. Amen. This is what we call protection. On the surface, it looks like restraint. On the surface, oh, they're prohibiting now. I've told y'all years ago, years, years, years ago, we, we went to uh, Stone Mountain in uh, Georgia. And it's just basically this big, bald rock mountain, right? And around the edge of it, there is fencing. 
And it clearly says, do not step beyond this point. You'd probably get a better view beyond the point of that fence. I can't believe they're keeping me from this view. But the case of the matter is there's been several people that has went beyond the limitation and their little shell and gravel there on the edge. Guess what? On that nice bald hill, it's almost like marbles under your feet. They did. So what they stood there and thought, well, no one's going to tell me I can't cross that. Go on and cross it, and you'll keep crossing to your death. Someone say amen. Guardrails are there for your protection. They don't want me to go off-road here. Yeah, dummy, they don't. Because it'll be your last off-road trip. I'm not trying to be rude and crude, but. Huh? I mean, somebody want to go out to one of these substations? Somebody want to go out to a substation night that has signs posted all around talking about keep out, don't get in there? You want to get the ever-living daylight shocked out of your body till you die? Go for it if you feel like you're being restrained. And we laugh at that because I know it seems like very exaggerated, you know, episodes and analogies, but that's what we do in church. We're like, well, God's not going to tell me what to do. If I want to do it, I'll do that. I don't care what he says. And we find ourselves in a downward spiral, and our life starts leading away from God, and we start turning our back on God, and we start fooling with other boundaries God has in our life. Because why? Because we've taken of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. We believe we have the ability, or it's our right now, to decide between what's right and wrong rather than God's. Listen. That was the big picture of taking to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That man thought then he had ownership then to decide what was right and wrong for him. When the one who was deciding right and wrong for man was God. But God still gave man a choice to decide whether to obey or disobey him. But it was never intended for man to decide what was right and wrong for himself. God dictates that and we obey or disobey what God provides. Oh yeah. Amen. I feel like I got ahead of myself there, but that's okay. And here's what we got to learn to live with. And this is the hardest thing. Sometimes your why not may not be answered this side of heaven. Might be never explained or known in this life. But again, it's in those times then we rely upon the known. And what is the known? God. That he doesn't just keep things from us to keep us from enjoyment. Psalm said that his right hand are pleasures forevermore. He don't just keep things from us to keep us from enjoyment. If he's keeping us from something or from doing something, maybe it's for your own good. Maybe it's for your protection. So if I don't know the exact details of the why, I got to lean on my understanding of his known practices. He does what he does because he loves and protects me. Because look for Adam. Is everybody doing okay? 
time is, oh, we're doing great. You know, we do this earlier and we don't have offering now, so I'm good for 8.30 on any. I'm usually done before then, except for tonight. Look, even in, in, in Adam. Freely eat except for the tree of knowledge and good and evil. Look, nothing is explained about the prohibition except thou shalt surely die. But the command was quite simple. Thou shalt not eat. <laughs> had we been there in this generation, had we been in Eden, and he said, thou shalt not eat, you've been, number one, we'd asked why. Number two, we'd start bargaining with God. Can't we have some? And thirdly, we would probably begin to protest with our pickets about how it's not fair. I'm just trying, trying to tap into the fabric of humanity that I live in right now. We'd start claiming how it's some big injustice. <laughs> so always remember that the, the adversary in chapter number three will always amplify the single prohibition. He'll steer clear of all the permissions that God has given us. And here's the problem when we focus on the one that he advises us not to, and that's all we focus on. That's when your life gets very imbalanced and tottering. The Bible says, this is what Scripture says, 1 John 5, 3. 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And note this next phrase here. And his commandments are not grievous. I looked at a myriad of other translations to see how they translated the word grievous. And so I'm going to share several of them with you. His commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not difficult to obey. His commandments are not oppressive. His commandments are not hard to follow. His commandments are not heavy. His commandments are not too hard for us. His commandments are not difficult. His commandments are not troublesome. His commandments do not weigh us down to get just maybe a total meaning of what it means that they are not grievous. In other words, Adam, whenever God says you need of all of them except the one, that shouldn't be burdensome to you. That shouldn't be a load beyond your ability to carry. That shouldn't be difficult to obey. In other words, God's not being unfair and God's not being unrealistic. Because the psalmist said, he knows our frame. He knows that we are but dust, the psalmist says. But he also says these commands are not too much. Victor P. Hamilton says this, says what is forbidden to man is the power, again, to decide for himself what is in his best interest and what is not. Because the knowledge of good and evil, or stated other ways, the knowledge of discerning and discriminating wisdom is God's to determine. God determines ultimately what is right or wrong, <clears throat> not us. I know we have a conscience and I understand that. 
But I'm saying in this context of Christianity, he has made clear through his words some things that are appropriate and inappropriate. It's not for me to decide. It's for me to abide. Amen. And our road then when we choose not to obey, huh? when we choose not to obey, then we've taken into our hand then deciding what's right or wrong for me. Huh? Well, glory. And here's the fact of the matter. We deal with the tree of knowledge of good of evil almost every day. Because since the garden until now, man has had this bend of really being tempted to want to decide for himself. But that sort of life doesn't come without consequences. The day you eat it, God told Adam, you will surely die. You understand with me. You will surely die. Or you will be doomed to die. Death will be an eventual outcome of this behavior. The verb here that you will surely die is a verb that has a continuous tense, meaning that the moment that Adam ate of it, he started to die until it came to its climax, that life was over. Because, folks, listen, disobedience has a price. It may take time. For it to come full circle, it might grind slowly, but eventually it'll give its payout. So we see the Garden of Eden scenario play out repeatedly. Not content, not, not content to embrace what he provided for me. That's the story of Eden. I'm not content to, to, to embrace what he's provided for me. That happens still yet today in Christianity. Not content with what the Lord's provided. Not content with what the Lord has, has given. We steer clear of what's going to benefit us. I'm just being honest. We steer clear of what, what, what's going to benefit us. And we, we take ownership of deciding, I'm going to decide what's right for my life. I'm going to decide what's wrong for my life. And so then instead of obedience, we usurp his authority and place ourselves as the masters of our own lives when we were never meant to be that. You can read the scripture whenever you, I believe it's in Galatians, even the New Testament where the Bible talks about how all things, all things are lawful. Hmm? All things are lawful for you. But not all things are expedient. Why? It says, lest ye be brought under the power of, of any. What's that talking about? So you can do anything you want to do. He said in the New Testament, do whatever you want to do. Go for it. Even those things that have gray areas, you know, that, that maybe there's not just a absolute verse and, 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 you know, chapter and verse book thing. Do whatever you want to do. But it says, here's, here's, the, here's the ruler of the matter. If whatever it is starts being master in your life, and you, you switch roles from being master over whatever it is, you become the servant to it, and it becomes the master in your life. He says, then you need to cut it off. If you're brought under the power of any. Because there's only one 
No man can serve two masters, Scripture says. You only need one master in your life. So if there's something else that's trying to master your life, then it's trying to usurp the other master in your life. Someone hear me right now? And that goes for anything. You say, oh, anything's permissible. There's a lot of things in this life that, that, that you could do. There's some things in this life that some people can do that some other people can't do. What are you saying? There's, there's like personal convictions that other people, if they went there, they'd allow that thing to master them. What are you, what are you talking about? It, it could be anything, folks. It, 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 could be, uh, it could be amusement parks. It could be your job. I mean, it could be a variety of things that could come in and start being the master. But if it starts coming master, then, then you've, you've turned your back on the other master, God. So, everybody doing all right? Yep. That'd be good for another time, another day. We could really delve in there and stomp around a little bit and get the mud between our toes, you know. So Adam's first, in my estimation, the first priest. And he failed. Thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ, the last Adam, who corrected it all. Now we have the opportunity of an Eden right here. Fellowship and communion with God in this temple for the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. Someone say amen. I know it's a little longer tonight. We'll make up for it somewhere else. Always does. Can we just bow our heads here in this place? Hallelujah. Can we just bow our heads in this place? Can someone start praying tonight and talking to God? We so many times talk about if we could just get back to Eden or get back to that paradise. And yet the key to all of that is God's presence. Folks, we, can, we don't have the exact physical location of it, but there can be a recreation of Eden anytime we have God's presence that comes down with communion and fellowship in our lives. Hallelujah, allow him to be master in your life. Look at all the provisions that God has made for you. Don't, don't get caught up over the one thing, amen, that, 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 that he uh, admonishes us not, not to involve or not to partake of or the other thing. Look at all of the myriad of things, the pleasant things, the good things, the fruitful things that he's provided for our life. Don't allow the adversary, amen, to take your mentality and your mindset to get hung up over the one thing hallelujah God I want fellowship with you God I want to experience you oh Lord you've provided everything for me in this enclosed place in this hedged in place God where I would live where I would work God Lord where there would be sustenance and food provided where God what I have need of would be found God in this space I pray oh Lord today help us oh God help us oh God Hallelujah, God. Lord, redeem, Lord Jesus. God, the old man, redeem, Lord Jesus. The first Adam, redeem, Lord Jesus. That sacred place of Eden. Let there be another housing. Let my body, my temple, Lord Jesus, be a housing. An Eden for the modern day of communion and fellowship with the Almighty. 
Messiah. God, I don't want to choose. Lord, as far as this is right and wrong, no, help me to choose whether to obey or disobey. Let that be my choice about obedience or disobedience, oh Lord. Don't leave it up to me. I'll falter. I'll make the wrong. I'll make, I'll decide what, what, what should be wrong. I'll accept it as right. God, help me to have a spirit of obedience. Lord, to the Master, a spirit of obedience to the one, amen, that is looking out for my good, that loves me, amen, that's guiding and ordering my steps through His Word and through His Spirit. Help me to be subjected to that Spirit, to that power, to that Master, to that God that's trying to get me from earth to heaven, knowing that He's looking out for me. He's protecting me. He's safeguarding me. He knows best. He knows best. Woo! Oh, let's raise our hands all across this place. I feel the presence of the Lord that has ushered Himself into this house right now. I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. I don't want to move too quickly in this moment. I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel an Eden experience in this place. I feel an Eden experience in this place. Woo! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, somebody call upon him while he's near. Seek him while he yet may be found. Oh, yes. Woo! Brother Alex, if you have a song, we can sing part of that. I feel the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. His Spirit's here right now. I'm telling you, if you don't know, His Spirit is here right now. I love you, Jesus. If it's appropriate, grab your neighbor's hand and just lift it heavenward right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, God. Lord, we, Lord, individually will be the temple. God, we individually will be that Eden setting, God, where there's fellowship and communion with the divine. God, we individually, Lord God, will be the people. God, I pray, Lord, you created a space and you had fellowship. You told man, make me a sanctuary that I might dwell. God, what you do in our lives, help us, Lord, with the upkeep. Help us, oh God, to be maintainers of the glory, maintainers of the flame, keepers, Lord, of the oil, keepers, oh God, of the presence. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, 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 ooh. 
God, let the wind blow from the north. Let the wind blow from the south. Let the wind blow from the east and from the west. God, let it converge here. God, let the wind of your spirit converge here, O oh Lord. God, bring life, God, to very dry bones. God, bring sinew and muscle and breath. Oh, yes. <laughs> Oh, I love you, Jesus. If you need to go tonight, you're dismissing Jesus' name to part from here. Amen. Sunday, Bishop, morning tonight. Two weeks or a week from this week and a week and a half away will be revival with, amen, the gills. They will be here. Amen. We want to be a part of that. And Brother Reese needs to meet with the cleaning crew in the youth room right after this service. So as you finish here, you can meander over there. Amen. Oh. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.